everyone. Thank you for joining me today. This is the Codependent Perfectionist Podcast, and I'm Alana Carvalho. And I'm joined with a very special guest today, Heidi Rogers, who I will have introduce herself in a minute. I'm so excited for you guys because this is a little bit um, different than I get to usually have on this podcast. So Heidi, if you could just tell the audience who you are um, and a little bit about what you do. Yeah. Um, so I'm Heidi Rogers and I'm a clinical psychotherapist and I work in private practice and I also run parenting programs and do parenting support work, uh, online. And, uh, yeah, I got into the parenting space, uh, probably about 10 years ago. So I've been in, uh, working in mental health for about 20 years. And then about 10 years ago, I started to notice that, a lot of the issues that my clients had, because uh, I specialize in trauma, um, their trauma could have been either minimized or uh, not happened in the first place if their parents had kind of been given different skills and tools around how to support their children. And I just started to sort of realize, wow, there is a lot of prevention here in mental health. And all of the people that I was seeing, um, and you would know this as a therapist, all the people that I was seeing as an adult I was like, gosh, if I'd only met your parents when you were five or six, we would be talking about way different things right now. And so I just started getting interested in parenting and then became a parent myself and then realized I knew nothing (laughs) and uh, had to kind of figure it out. And um, yeah, and then it's just, it's my my passion really at the moment um, is, yeah, getting into showing people, I guess, that prevention can go a long way in mental health. You don't need to just randomly have bad luck and have a kid that ends up with depression or anxiety. There's a lot of preventative stuff we can do as parents. Yeah. Yeah. I talk about that a lot in my parenting book as well, because, um, prevention is something that is like the most important piece to me as well. And, and especially in our society, um, but is the most underfunded piece of all of the work, which is so, you know, kind of mind blowing to me. Um, and I just so wish that we had more prevention programs for our kids. Cause I think you're right. It would make a big difference in mental health, substance abuse. Um, many of the issues we're dealing with today in our society here in America, um, and of course around the world, but it's such a big key to this. Um, but I want to share that the reason I wanted Heidi to come on this podcast here is because Heidi also talks a lot about having um, or working with spicy children. And that just, as soon as I saw that, I said, oh God, I have to have her on the podcast because this is such an important topic, for, especially for us codependent perfectionists over here. Um, and you know, I, I shared with Heidi that I, I identify as having one of those spicy children. So Um, and of course, as a codependent perfectionist, it pushes all of my, all of my buttons, you know? Um, so I guess I I wonder, Heidi, if you could share a little bit about what, how you define a spicy child and and we can go from there. Yeah, cool. Uh, so the spicy child kind of framework I came up with after realizing that I was seeing these parents talk to me about their kids and these kids all had the same traits again and again and again, it was like, oh, he just can't do shame. If he's ever shamed in any way, he just loses it and he storms off. Notice that. Okay. Um, Oh, she just has to have power, a sense of power. She needs to have choices and everything. She has to have control. Interesting. And I just kept finding there was just these traits that was like standard. And I started to go like, 
what is this? You know, cause I'm seeing this a lot. And also with my own daughter, who's six and a half, I noticed uh, a real marked difference with her and my oldest daughter, who's eight. I knew from when my six and a half year old, who I call spicy, I knew from when she was about 18 months old, that something was different about her. I've been working with children forever. It feels like, um, professionally I used to nanny, you know, before I got into therapy and stuff. Um, and I just knew something was different about her and I couldn't put my finger on kind of what it was. I just knew that she was really hard and she was really challenging. And my eight-year-old made me think I was a really good mom because she was like, she'd listen and like, she wouldn't have big meltdowns in public. And, mm-hmm. uh, I thought I was awesome. And then my second came along and I was like, what is happening here? I'm using the same techniques. I'm using the same positive parenting strategies that I've learned and read in all the books and, you know, taught parents that I've worked with, what is happening? Why, why isn't it working with her? And I just kept finding the phrase and the languaging of like challenging, tricky, defiant, oppositional. I was reading all of that language and I just, I didn't like it because it felt negative and it felt kind of mm, belittling, degrading, shaming the, to refer to her constantly as that, because I, I knew and I could tell she doesn't want to be like this. She doesn't want to be difficult. She doesn't want to be inflexible and rigid, but like she is constantly like, why is she so hard when, um, I don't know. I could just sense that she doesn't want to be this way, but she doesn't have another way to do it. So the spicy term is one, I think it's nicer to call it kids spicy. It's just a bit playful. (laughs) It's a bit fun. It's a bit nicer than calling them challenging and defiant. Uh, and then I used the, the letters I found were sort of the, the hallmark traits of a spicy kid are S P I C Y. And that's why, um, yeah, it's the spicy framework or the spicy method is kind of how I refer to it in my head. Well, yeah, I love that because, um, you know, those people, those of us, um, who have kids and, and those who are listening, um, often find that if they have a child who's spicy, they then think that they, it must be that they're a terrible parent. Right. And, and people often will be judged in that way. You know, that's a reality of our society, right? It's like, Oh God, if your kid is acting like that, what are you doing as a parent? You know? And I, and I think that's really sad because you know, as someone who has a spicy kid and who has codependency and perfectionism issues, of course, I mean, of course I would get a child like that. So it could be like, Hey, Lana, you got, you really got to keep working on your stuff. Right. Um, but it was also so helpful for me because like yourself, I work a lot in parenting and it, it was so important for me to understand, um, that children that have, um, this kind these kind of traits. And, and I often call her a deep feeler, you know? Um, and I think a lot of the spicy children are really deep feelers. They, they can be very sensitive to different things, sensitive to sounds, sights, smells, words, you know, situations, whatever it may be. And they can easily then emotionally react. Cause oftentimes I find that these children are highly intellectual, um, but they have a difficult time perhaps emotionally knowing how to handle some of these situations. Right. And so those of us who are parents, we're kind of like, oh my God, you know, people are, people are going to look at this and think this is a terrible, this is terrible. What are they doing to this child? You know? And I really wanted you to come on to help normalize for those 
who are listening, who, who struggle with this type of issue to say like, Hey, listen, it, it's not your fault that mm-hmm. your child is spicy. It's that's not, you know, it's not like, Oh, you, you did that, you know? And I, I feel like at this point, I'm not that I'm on a crusade, but there, there's a, a smaller piece to that where I want people to really understand that children come into this world with their own stuff that they have to work on. And that's not a direct reflection of the parent. Um, of course, it's our job as parents to then kind of figure out, okay, well, what do I do with this and how do I work with this? But that could be extremely difficult, you know, especially we're two professionals in this field who've done lots of research on this kind of stuff. And it was still difficult for us. Right. So I can only imagine what it's like for the average person who doesn't have skills around um, parenting and is, you know, being given a spicy child and doesn't know what to do with themselves. Right. So I wonder, Heidi, like, what are your, what are your thoughts or what is your advice for someone who's listening? Who's like, yes, this is me. I'm struggling with this. And I don't know, I don't know where to start or what to do. Mm-hmm. And, and perhaps they've been hearing, like you said, all the positive parenting stuff, which again, there's nothing, you know, to, to say, oh, that's all bad, but it just doesn't work the same with these children. Right. Totally. And the parents that, um, I would say where you start is the spicy masterclass that I have. Um, do you know how many emails I get from people saying, oh my God, I've been to five sites for my kid. We've done these, you know, CBT, this program, this program, nothing's worked. And this is the first time I felt like someone actually even understands my kid. Right. And also understands my parenting experience where when people, when, you know, I do the positive parenting stuff and then I say, it doesn't work. You know, the clinician will look at me like, well, you must be doing it wrong or, but it always works when you validate a child's emotions. That's what they want is they want their feelings to be labeled and identified. And then they do the masterclass and they're like, you know, their brain is exploding going, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're saying don't label their feelings and emotions. That's what I've been doing. It's like, well, no wonder they've been erupting. And the thing that I say with spicy kids is they have an issue with regulation. That's their number one issue. But the, the way that we often interact with them and the way that we often parent them is through punishment or timeouts or, you know, that's not okay. Cause they often act in such a dysregulated way. And they do such like dumb stuff of like hitting and throwing and spitting and, um, snatching toys and not sharing. And they have, there's, they're such a like challenging temperament that it often brings out the most dysregulated parts of ourselves. You know, I say, I didn't know I had an anger management problem until I had my second kid. And then it's like all of a sudden, and also recovering perfectionist right here. Mm -hmm. I also feel, um, she just triggers me so much, right. Because of the explosive kind of behaviors and stuff. And then also there's that feeling of failure, I think as a recovering perfectionist, where I feel like, um, she makes me look bad. She, she, I want to be the perfect everything, right? That's, that's, we all can resonate and identify with that for people that are listening to this, right? We're, we're sort of amongst friends here. And so when you have a kid who doesn't respond to the way that you think is the perfect parenting way, which is positive parenting, gentle parenting, respectful parenting, conscious parenting, whatever the hell you want to call it. But to me, it's the same thing of like, I'm trying to do it nice. I'm trying to do it better than my parents. I'm trying not to shame. I'm trying to um, empower my child and build their self-esteem. Why isn't it working? Mm-hmm. Well, crap, maybe I should go back to doing the controlling timeouts, shamey thing, right. because it, it's like in our brains, it's like, those are the only two options. And 
that's what I kind of was really passionate, I guess, about in teaching in the master classes. No, 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 there is another way that's sort of like it's positive parenting, but different because spicy kids, I think, speak a different language. Like, so if, if, so if regulation is like the overarching umbrella issue that they have is they, they just suck at regulation. They have a really hard time with regulation. The other two key tenants are they don't do feelings. Feelings are shameful. Feelings are overwhelming. I don't understand them. They're just too much and shame. Those are kind of their, their big pieces. And the problem is when you are dysregulated, you often feel big feelings or the big feelings make you feel dysregulated. And then that makes you feel shame. And then you're just like, blah, 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 blah. I don't know what to do with all of this stuff. Right. So they either explode, they run away, they say hurtful things, but then beneath all of that big kind of gruff exterior is this sensitive, like exactly like you said, super sensitive, tender-hearted, yes. gentle, softy that is hidden behind this whole big shield, but deep down is this tender little heart. And right. when you can see that and you shift into a space of compassion and empathy when you interact with them, because you start to realize oh, you don't want to be this way. Ah, you're not manipulative. Um, bratty, disrespectful, rude, all of these, you know, you know, all those, those sophisticated words that we apply to them, that that just is not appropriate for them because they're, they're not trying to be that way. They just don't know another way yet. And they, and most often the parents don't know how to interact with them because they're so outside the box. And again, all of the beautiful books, you know, like all these lovely books on my bookshelf teach you all the positive parenting stuff and it just doesn't work with them. I I've yet to find a book that, that teaches how to navigate a kid like this. Maybe I've just not read it yet, but I, maybe it's a book I should write. I've never, <laughs> I've never found that, that book yet though. But um, yeah. Do you want me to go through the acronym of what the letters are? Would that be that helpful? That would be wonderful. To- yeah. I think. Yeah. Would okay. So if you're, if you're listening to this and you're like, do I have a challenging spicy kid? You know, these are the, these are kind of the traits. So S is for shame. That's the biggest one of the S words, shame avoider, shame feels intolerable. They're scared of big feelings and they skip feelings a lot. So these are the kids where when you go, um, again, trying the like positive parenting techniques and going, I can see you're feeling really angry that your sister just knocked over your tower. They're sort of like, Oh, don't talk about big feelings. You just talked about my anger. Like that's so private. That's so like intimate. Like, how dare you go in there and talk about my feelings? And they, it it just, it, it creates almost like a panic, I think in them. So that's S is shame. I cannot do big feelings and I cannot tolerate shame and, and shame too, because these kids are also sensitive shame can be all about perception. So you might not think you're shaming them, but you are shaming them. How do you know that you're shaming them? The telltale signs are always disconnection, isolation, and armoring, right? So if you see the walls go up, they break eye contact, they run away, they move away uh, physically or just emotionally, if you can sort of feel it energetically that they're just sort of disconnecting from you, you know, oh, whoops, you're in shame. Either I just shamed you inadvertently or however you perceived that you took it as shameful shame, of course, meaning you are bad. Not what you did is bad or not cool, but you as a whole human um, are unlovable and unworthy. Does that make sense? The S yes, absolutely. Okay. P stands for power. So they are power seeking. 
They need to have a lot of power, which translates to they need to have a lot of choice. So this is the kid that you say, do you want the red cup or blue cup? Again, positive parenting strategy, beautiful, give kids choices. These kids go, I want the green cup. (laughs) So I don't want your choices. I want my own. And, and they'll usually say like, I want the green cup, right? So you're like, oh, would you like, you know, you're trying to be so nice about it. And then they have this really strong reaction where, and then you're like, oh my God, what do I do? I just offered the two options. And now they're demanding the third. Do I, do I let them have that? And is that giving in or do, you know, it, it creates so much confusion, right? Yeah. And that, well, and that actually goes to the C for uh, the spicy acronym, which is connection. But one of the C's I have in there is compromise is hard mm. and you constantly feel like you're compromising and right. it's then it gets a real exhausting, exhausting. Mm-hmm. So P is for power seeking. Um, I need to have a sense of power and autonomy in my life. Another P is preparation. These kids do really well with a lot of preparation again, because if I'm always living my life, trying to avoid big feelings and avoid shame, it's really easy to have big feelings at a new play date, a doctor's appointment, a new school, swimming lessons for the first time, a new teacher, whatever, anything where there's new, which is lots of things in life are new and change and different. So preparation is valuable, valuable for them. Um, They're playful. They can respond quite well to playfulness and being silly, using an accent, using a robot voice, you know, being (laughs) just fun and playful. They can often respond really well to that. My spicy six and a half year old um, to this day and since from when she was little, the the phase of the day of transitioning into the bath or the shower and then brushing teeth and going to bed has historically been really hard for her. And to this day, the thing that we use almost every night is how do you want me to carry you to the bathroom? Mm. Like a pizza, like a baby (laughs) over my shoulder, like a sack of potatoes, you know, like a puppy. And we just come up with like a snake. We just come up with all sorts of different random things. And she picks something playful. And that to this day is how she, we get her to the bathroom, you know, is to get ready for bed is to do some sort of silly way. Another P is for positives. Um, sometimes they, it feels like you can't find anything positive about them. I hear that from a lot of parents where they're like, you know, you read in the books to praise your kid or whatever. And they're like, I can't think of anything nice to say about this kid because they're always in trouble and they're always doing the wrong thing. And so sometimes what it looks like, I think is going, Hey, you only hit your sister twice. Normally you hit her three times, like great job. And so you just try to find like any kind of positive. Um, they love praise and they require a lot of patience. They're probably out of all of your kids, the kid that you require the most patience. Does that make sense? The peep? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Is this, is this resonating with you? Are you like hearing this going? "Mm -hmm." Yeah. And I, you know what I was just thinking, like you mentioned the transition being difficult and I've found that a lot that transition with these children is particularly difficult. Um, and sometimes, you know, I really have to think about, I, I had to do this more when my child was, was very young, but I could see the difference. And I, I know you still have to get to why, but I just wanted to share this yeah, yeah. That, that came to me that um, I don't know if this is with all spicy children or perhaps some, but I noticed that there is a big difference between when they're trying to get power or control um, just because they want it because it's part of their personality versus when there's times where there's kind of like an OCD like thinking that's going on. And so they demand something when, when for us, it perhaps doesn't make sense, but for them, it's like, 
I'm saying I need the green cup because I used the orange one last night and green comes after orange. And like, we're kind of like, well, what, I, I don't know what that means, but like for them, there's something very specific about that, you know? Um, and that like, it kind of like almost short circuits them. If we, if we're like, mm-hmm. but that's not the option. And they're like, but no, it has to be. And I had to really stop and think to myself, okay, is she doing this because she's just doing a power grab right now? Or is this actually something that seems really important to her for some reason that I don't understand, you know? And that to me is such a big differentiator because there are times where something is important that just doesn't make sense to us. And I think we have to kind of learn how to discern the difference of that versus, um, you know, I'm just trying to like push the limits, which of course happens as well. It's such a nuanced difference to me. I I don't know if you see that at all. Dude, hundred percent. That's a classic spicy kid thing. And I think it's, um, it, how I like to reframe it is, something feels very unsafe to me about not having the green cup. And so I'm going to go hard and I'm going to double down on needing this green cup because it actually makes me feel safer, calmer, more regulated when I have the green cup. And it's funny, right? Because if an adult said that to you, if you said to your partner, you know, like, do you want the red cup or the blue cup? And they were like, I'd like the green cup. And you were like, Whoa, why, why so big on the green cup? And they said, because it just makes me feel safer. I feel, I feel more comfortable with green. It makes me feel more regulated in my body. You'd be like, Oh dude, totally. No problem. Have a green <laughs> cup, Right. But they're too little and they don't know how to articulate that. Right. But that's what I think it is yeah. when they say like, I have to wear these shoes or you have to put my shoes on for me. I think it is actually a, um, it's just, it's the way that their brain is wired that it actually makes me feel safer the control, like I like to reframe that for parents a lot and say them being controlling is not them being manipulative or a little dictator or a terrorist. Like some parents say, I hear them say the need for control is actually where I derive some of my safety. And it's actually where I derive some of my, a big exhale comes with me knowing what's happening. Just like we all can be control freaks sometimes with certain things, right? And want it to go a certain way. It actually comes from a place of anxiety, right? And it's actually, that makes me feel safer if I can control and call all the shots. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think it is for them. Because again, I can't do big feelings. They overwhelm me. I don't know how to regulate. I have a hard time regulating. So any situation like transitions that bring up big feelings, which could even be good feelings, by the way, a lot of parents will say to me, but like it was their birthday party or it was Disneyland. I don't understand why they're having such a meltdown or such a big reaction. And I'm like, because big feelings doesn't matter if they're good or bad. Like that could be happy and excited, could be angry and sad. It doesn't matter. It's like just big feelings are intolerable for them. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm also thinking about like, I, I, my child loved like schedule as a result of that, because that helped her feel really safe when like there was a schedule that we stuck to, which of, you know, the flip side of that is then when there's like a, a non-scheduled thing, it be- can become like a, oh my God, that's not part of the schedule, you know? And then it's mm-hmm. like freak out. Right. But for the most part, I've found that, um, like them knowing what's next and like how things go can feel super like soothing for them in a sense. And that's why I think you mentioned before, like the preparation piece of like, they need a lot of preparation when there's a change in the schedule and when there's a change in their environment and all of those things. I think that's true. They need to like really 
um, try to know what to expect as much as possible. So they don't feel as, as out of control as, you know, yeah. Um, so I don't have to have big feelings. Yeah. Right. I just, I got to avoid big feelings, man. I got to avoid big feelings, no big feelings here. So right. the more preparation of knowing this is where Santa's going to be sitting and this is what the line is going to look like, whatever, just the more information they can have then means I don't have to feel anxious. I don't have to feel unsure. I can know the lay of the land. Totally. Yeah. yeah. And so I took you just down such a big tangent there, but, but I think that was important, but I, but I want to make sure we get to why so that everyone's not like, well, what if, yeah, what yeah. why she never what said the, that? What are the other letters? Right. Okay. So I is an, I is incessant okay. and anyone who has a spicy kid will be like, mm, yes, girl. <laughs> yes. Incessant. They do not give up. They are relentless. They are, they will not shut up about it. If they want my daughter the other day, saw her friend had a little, um, you know, mechanical pig that like oinks and you feed it a bottle and it walks and you can, it has a leash and stuff. And she was obsessed. She's been asking for this pig every single day, man, since she saw her friend's pig. And it's just like, she will not let it up. And same with the the cup analogy. If you can't give them that green cup, they will throw themselves on the floor. I have to have the green cup. The world is coming to an end. And uh, yeah, so I is incessant. The other eyes that I have that fit are inflexible, Mm -hmm. irritating, Mm -hmm. impossible. It feels like they're just impossible and nothing's ever good enough for them. They can do well with incentives. I'm not a fan of bribery because I just don't think it works. I think it only works in like that instant, you know, for the short term. And I, I believe more in kind of teaching kids intrinsic motivation rather than extrinsic, but sometimes they can do well with incentives. Like, well, if we uh, brush our teeth, then we can play some video game, you know, or if we brush our teeth, then we can, you know, do watch TV or do something that you want to do. So sometimes incentives can work for them. Um, impatient. They struggle often waiting in line. They struggle waiting their turn. They just impatient and then giving in. So in of giving in that you just feel like you're constantly giving in. And the only way I knew I could get her through the checkout was to just buy her the lollipop, right? That kind of just, I have to survive. C is for connection. Uh, they are really, um, I call them sort of like addicts with connection. It sometimes can feel like it's not enough connection one-on-one time. You know, other parents might say, but I have three kids and this one kid takes, you know, 50% of my time. It's not fair. It should be 33 across the board, but it's like, nope, this kid requires so much more time, attention, just like, oh, and that is normal. I think with spicy kids, they just need a lot of connection. They're very caring. They have a deep, deep, deep heart. They're very empathetic. Uh, If you're lucky enough to see it, if you're lucky enough to get an I love you, or if you're lucky enough to kind of get that kind of um, special touch kind of from them where they they sort of bless you of like, you're special to me because they're not, they don't give that away to everyone. Um, Compassion, they're very compassionate, but they require a lot of compassion from us. And it's, I think spicy kids, more than any other parenting kind of kid, like temperament wise, they require the most compassion out of all the kind of temperaments. They crash a lot. So that could be blood sugar crash, sleep crash, you know, like just this real, again, sensitive to needing um, food every two hours or whatever, but like a a spicy kid that's hangry is different than another kid that's a non-spicy kid that's hangry. They just, they don't do hunger and tiredness and stuff. 
compromise is hard for them and bids for connection. So connection, yes, in one-on-one time. But the other thing I want to offer a reframe for parents is they do this thing that, so John Gottman, as you would probably be familiar with, he has this phrase of bids for connection where a partner, so John Gottman is a relationship guru and therapist forever. And um, his language is couples will have a bid for connection. So it might be a rub on the back or a, Hey, how was your day? It's a bid for connection, right? Spicy kids, their thought process of how they go about asking for or seeking connection often doesn't make sense to us in that it might be, can you help me get dressed? And you're like, you're seven, you're nine. Why am I helping you get dressed? You're capable, but that's their way of feeling nurtured. That's their way of feeling close to you, feeling connected, feeling looked after. Do I matter? Do you see me? Um, Do you get me? And they do it in ways of like, look at me, watch me. And you know, you're cooking dinner and you're at the stove and you're busy and you're rushing and, and they're like, you know, watch me build my Lego thing or watch me play with the train or look at what I just built on Minecraft or whatever. And you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm just, I'm doing, I'm doing dinner, but that in their way, even if you say like, I'm in the middle of dinner, I'll get back to you in a second. You know, I'd love it. Neat, but I'll get back to you in a second. It just doesn't like register. They need to show you now. And it's, uh, again, it's a bid for connection. It's a way that I'm trying to bond with you or, or get close to you. And a lot of parents have said to me that just that reframe of, that's why he wants me to help him with his shoes. Oh, that's why she wants me to get her dress. Just seeing it from a reframe that it's not my kid's lazy. They're going to, you know, be 18 asking me to get them dressed. No, it's not going to be like that. If you just view it as a bid for connection of like, mom, dad, do you see me? Do you get me? Do you want to hang out with me? If you just spin it to that and go, yeah, I can help you with your shoes. I can help you get dressed. Do you want me to do your shirt? Do you want to do your shirt? You know? Um, yeah. And then why is yes, as much as possible. These kids find the word, no, uh, kryptonite. They find no (laughs) is like a red flag to a bull. They just don't do no, man. So what I call it is like creative nose, which is, um, can we go to the park? Yes. I love the park. We can't go right now, but we could go tomorrow. Right. (laughs) Um, I want to watch TV. Mm -hmm. I love TV. I know. Yes. We can watch TV. We have to first finish our homework or we have to whatever, and then we can watch TV or we can watch five minutes now, or we can watch 20 minutes after we do homework. You decide what do you want to do? Five minutes now. And even just again, choice, 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 choice. But sometimes I find I have to give my daughter a little bit of the thing now to sort of soothe her brain. So it could be if she has a, you know, a gummy snake or something like that. Do you want to have the whole thing after dinner and just have one bite now? Yes. I want to have one bite now and then save the rest. Okay, great. So just again, compromising. So yes, as much as possible, uh, yelling, it feels like we yell at them probably more than our other kids. And my favorite phrase, which is you're a good kid having a hard time. And that I think is sort of the Bible script if there's anything you're going to remember from this episode, it's that is the phrase that really makes them feel heard, seen, lovable, because they chronically feel unlovable and unworthy because they're in trouble all the time. So saying to them constantly, you're a good kid having a hard time. I know you didn't mean to to hit the dog and make the dog yelp. I know you were just trying to get him out of your space, but you didn't mean to hurt him. I know when you just shoved your sister, you wanted her out of your way, but you didn't mean to hurt her and knock her over. I get that. You're a good kid. I know. Does that make sense? 
Absolutely. And I think these are great tips for people who are listening because I imagine they're like, so what do I do? Right. And so I I appreciate that, you know, you're giving some concrete feedback because I think you're right. You know, you mentioned before, Heidi, like there's no books on this. And I'm like, yes, yes, please write a book, you know, write it. (laughs) Cause I think that's true. You know, I don't, I I don't find a lot of spaces that are geared towards this temperament. I find, um, you know, we talk about children that perhaps have are at the extreme where, you know, we have to work with them in an entirely different way. Um, but then generally we just talk about the average child and and they're not average children. So I I just don't find that it's beneficial. And I think, um, you know, of course, in my practice, I see a good amount of parents who have these types of children and they, and they just feel so alone with it. You know, they're like, "I, I don't know, like nobody seems to have these issues. I just don't understand like what's wrong with me. Um, and I'm wondering, Heidi, if you could speak a little bit more to, what we touched on briefly, which was this idea that perhaps when we're in a space where they start to have these big feelings, which then leads into some sort of meltdown of some kind or tantrum or whatever it may be, um, that we get really activated because we're embarrassed about how this um, makes us look. And I'm wondering if you could speak a little bit to that and what perhaps you think may be important for parents to know who, who often deal with those types of situations. Mm. And, yeah, and just to is, add to yeah. that, I often find that, or, or, and, and these parents will say it to me too. And I've had these experiences myself where then someone else will come in and say something like, oh, your child needs more discipline or the, they'll insinuate that or something along mm. those lines. So I'm wondering if you could speak to that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the first thing is, I think we got to reframe these kids are neurodiverse. They're not neurotypical children. Okay. So then when we look at neurodiverse, that's a big word. What does that mean? Well, neurodiverse is a label that we give to brains that are different, that are outside the box. I don't view it as a deficit or a deficiency. The DSM tends to disagree with some of that, but I don't view it as a deficit. Um, So what are some of the most common neurodiverse uh, diagnoses out there? ADHD, ASD, autism spectrum disorder, executive functioning issues, sensory processing, um, auditory processing, dyslexia. Um, just There's a lot of different things that we throw under the umbrella, I guess, of neurodivergent, which just means your brain is wired differently. I think it, to me, I think it really is a continuum and it's a spectrum. And I think even the, the term neurotypical is sort of hilarious because it's like, what is typical? What is normal? What does it even mean? Right. You know, like, I think we're all somewhere on a spectrum of different and unique in our brains. Right. But the first thing to remind yourself is my kid's not trying to be difficult. They're having a hard time. Why would you pick this? Why would you want to be um, prone to shame? Very sensitive to shame, have a hard time with big feelings and have a hard time regulating. Ew, that sucks. That would be so, why would you sign up for that? Why would you want to be like that? Nobody wants to feel this way. Right. But the thing to remember is if, if they are neurodivergent, that means that, that the way that their brain lights up is different. The things that frustrate them, the things that soothe them, the things that whatever, and it's, it probably isn't going to make sense to you unless you are neurodiverse yourself, right? A lot of it's just going to be like, what? And your kid is going to feel a bit like an enigma to you. So if you first go into those situations, the like public meltdown where you want to crawl under a rock and die because your kid, especially as a recovering perfectionist and that feeling of just like, oh my gosh, you're so mortifying right now. I want to die. Mm -hmm. If you first sort of step into the space by just going, 
my kids just wired differently, man. They're not trying to be a punk right now. They're not trying to embarrass me. They're not trying to, to be a brat. They're just having a hard time and they don't know what the hell to do with it. They don't know what to do with their feelings. They don't know how to get what they need. They don't know what's going on and they're overwhelmed. They're neurodiverse. Their brain is wired differently and it doesn't need to make sense to you because even if we gave your kid a label of like ADHD or ASD or whatever, that doesn't help you get them in the bath. That doesn't help you when they're having meltdown in the grocery store. Like, okay, so you have the label, but the the point of it, I guess, is to say they're wired differently, right? And a lot of parents will say to me, like, after my kid got a diagnosis of ADHD or ASD, I then was able to meet their meltdowns with more compassion because then it was like, oh, it's proven. It's a fact that my kid's wired differently, right? So I just say, let's get assessments. I love assessments. Go, go nuts. Go get assessments. But while we're waiting or, you know, if you don't believe in them, whatever, just give yourself the assessment, put the, put the label on their forehead. My kid is wired differently. Right. They're spicy. Okay. So then that frees you to have more compassion and more empathy for them because then you go, they're wired this way. They're not choosing to be this way. Why would you choose to be this way? Right. Mm-hmm. Then that enables me to go to them from a different place, like a different energy, a different spot in my heart. I then approach them with compassion and you're having a hard time, you know, like Ross Green calls it unlucky behaviors and lucky behaviors. Unlucky behaviors are spitting, hitting, kicking. Lucky behaviors are tears, sadness, pouting. I need a hug. Right. And when you have a kid that has lucky behaviors, it's super easy to comfort them when they're having a hard time or they're nervous or they're feeling overstimulated or whatever. But when you have an unlucky behavior, uh, kid, spicy kids, it, it's alienating. It often pushes you away. It doesn't make you want to get close, but if you shift it, and I like to say subtitles at the bottom of the screen, subtitles at the bottom of the screen, when they're screaming, I hate you. I wish you weren't my mom. Mm -hmm. I hate this family. I want to die. Spicy kids can come out with some real zingers when they are saying all of this stuff to you. I want you to like, close your eyes, mute what they're saying, plug your ears and just read the subtitles at the bottom of the screen, which just say, I'm having a lot of big feelings. I don't know how to manage them. I need your help. I'm having a really hard time right now. And so you sort of tune out all of the other crap and you just hone in on, uh, you're having a hard time. I see that. Yeah, I'm here. And then being a stable, safe container. And that is what is so hard is in that moment, they are so dysregulated. I become dysregulated, right? right? But that's not what they need in the moment because we can't have two dysregulated people, then we're screwed, right? Right. If you're losing it, you can lose it, but I need to stay calm, right? Right. To help calm you down. If we both lose it, then we're done, right? And so that's why the key, the number one focus that you want to have when your kid is melting down is not to say smart stuff, not to have a teachable moment is, and not to fix anything with your kid. It's you. That's your number one, right? Regulate myself, Mm -hmm. stay calm. Don't lose it. Stay calm. I do that through belly breathing. Some people do that through singing a song in their head. Mm -hmm. There's so many different things that you can Google to regulate yourself. But my favorite is to just say the phrase over and over in my head. She's a good kid having a hard time. I'm a good mom having a hard time. Right. She's a good kid. She's a good kid. She's having a hard time. And just communicating that with my eyes, with my body language, with my energy, just being really present and really still, not doing a lot of talking and just going, mm-hmm. Right. 
Yeah. This is really hard. Yeah. I see that something, something about me asking you to turn the iPad off. That was hard. I get that. Yeah. I hear you. So it's like, everything you're saying is like, I'm validating your experience. I believe you. This is real. This is a big deal. Mm -hmm. Cause when you do the minimizing and validating, it's not a big, that kind of thing. Yeah. That no, just that's never going to ignite them. Yeah. Ignites them. Yeah. And I also just want to add, and then, um, we'll have to end soon, unfortunately, even though I feel like we could probably keep talking and talking, but, um, I think it's a really great opportunity for those of us who have codependency and perfectionism issues to actually have this type of child, because it really pushes us to have to heal in a whole different way. That's my perspective on myself with it. And, and I hope that for other people, because it really does like, it just, it's, there's something about it that, I don't know. It just takes you to a different level of your recovery. If you allow it to, you know, um, that doesn't necessarily ease it in the moment, but I do, you know, there's reframes that I think we can have in our head around like how helpful it is for us to be, you know, kind of seen in this way that is out of our control and makes us look much less than perfect. And all of those things that, um, actually is an important part of recovery, you know, hundred percent. So, I guess we'll stop there, but thank you so much, Heidi. I think this was so, you know, informative for those, um, dealing with these types of issues. I really appreciate your time. I'm so glad we were able to connect, especially, uh, you know, across the world. Um, so thank you for being here. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. And where can the listeners find you? If they go to my website, which is HeidiRogers.com. So H E I D I R O G E R S.com. And then the spicy kids area of my website is just in the top of the website, just spicy kids. And you can do the masterclass there and just read more about it. And I have other resources there too. Cool. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks for having me.